Volume two, chapter fifteen of the Vicar of Rexhill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Vicar of Rexhill by Francis Milton Trollope. Volume two, chapter fifteen. Walk to Oakley. Domestic arrangements. The village inn. Fortunately for their proposed expedition, the morning broke more brightly than a December morning could reasonably be expected to do, and the trio set off on their walk to Oakley almost as soon as it was light. The expedition, notwithstanding the unhappy cause of it, would have been less silent and less sad had not Charles thought Rosalind capricious and cruel, and had not Rosalind thought Charles unkind and cold. Nothing could appear more likely to perpetuate the unfortunate misunderstanding between them than the heavy misfortune that had fallen upon Mowbray. His total dependence, contrasted with Miss Torrington's wealth, was perpetually recurring to him, producing a degree of restraint in his manner that cut Rosalind to the heart, and roused all her womanly pride to prevent the long-combated feeling of attachment, to which his present sorrows gave tenfold strength from betraying itself. The tripping lightly through summer paths, and the picking one's way through wintry lanes, are two very different operations, and notwithstanding their early rising, they found the baronet and his lady already at the breakfast-table. The astonishment occasioned by their appearance was great, but yet it was a joyous astonishment, and it was some time before Sir Gilbert's noisy welcome subsided sufficiently for her ladyship's more quiet and more anxious inquiries could be either answered or heard. At length there was something in the tone of Helen's voice, the glance of Rosalind's eye, and the silent pressure of Mowbray's hand, which awakened his attention. "'Why, you have walked over to see us, my dear girls, and it was behaving like a pair of little angels to do so. But you're not one half as well pleased to see me as I am to see you. Come here, Helen, sit down in my own chair here and get warm, and then the words will thaw and come forth like the notes from the horse of Munchausen's postboy. And your black eyes, Miss Rose, don't look half as saucy as they used to. And as for Charles, what on earth is the matter with ye all?' Helen burst into tears and buried her face in Lady Harrington's bosom. "'Sir Gilbert,' said Mowbray, colouring to the temples, "'my mother is married.' "'The devil she is!' thundered the old man, clenching his fists. "'Married, is she? Jezebel! May your poor father's ghost haunt her to her dying hour! Married! To that canting cur, the vicar of Rexhill! Is it not so?' "'Even so, Sir Gilbert.' "'Heaven help you, my poor children,' said Lady Harrington, in accents of the deepest sorrow. "'This is a grief that will indeed be hard to bear.' "'And yet we come to you for counsel how to bear it, my dear lady,' said Mowbray, "'though little choice is left us. "'Yet Helen says, if you tell her that she must submit to call this man her father, "'it will be easier for her to do it.' "'Bless her, darling child,' said the old lady, fondly caressing her. "'How shall I ever find the heart to bid her to do what it must break her heart to think of?' "'Bid her call that rascal father,' cried Sir Gilbert. "'My lady Harrington must be strangely altered.' mowbray before she will do that she is a very rebellious old lady and a most prodigious shrew but you do her no justice charles in believing that she would utter such atrocious words but what is to become of helen my dear sir gilbert if she quarrel with this man come to us to be sure what's the man to her has your precious mother made any settlement upon you all i imagine not indeed i may say that i am sure she has not am i a prophet my lady how did i tell you mowbray's sentimental will would answer and has this meek and gentle lady proved herself deserving of all the pretty things i said of her there is but small comfort in remembering how truly how very truly your predictions foretold what has happened sir gilbert and he has predicted that you must come here my sweet helen let this come true likewise i cannot leave poor fanny lady harrington replied helen i cannot leave my dear and generous friend rosalind and yet your offered kindness cheers my heart and i shall think of it with pleasure and gratitude as long as i live 
but i thought fanny was a disciple of this calvinistic gentleman's if so it were better she remained with him till she has learned to distinguish hypocrisy from virtue and cant from true religion and for miss torrington i shall rejoice to have her for my guest for as long a time as she can find our old-fashioned mansion agreeable to her you are very very kind replied the two friends in the same breath then let it be so charles these good girls will stay here for the present so let us eat our breakfast let me save them from the odious spectacle of the vicar of rexhill establishing himself at mowbray park and the future must take care of itself but fanny said helen doubtingly she looked so unhappy as she followed my mother in last night that i feel almost certain her fit of enthusiasm is already over so much the better my dear said sir gilbert but it will do her a vast deal of good to watch the reverend gentleman's proceeding in his new character that scratch upon her intellect must be cauterized before i shall believe it cured and when the operation is complete she may join the party here as for you my dear boy when your breakfast is finished i have something for your ear in private this something was the proposal of a loan sufficient for the purchase of the commission and for the supply of the expenses consequent upon joining his corps but this mowbray could not be prevailed upon to accept and his reasons for refusing it were such that when he could prevail on the friendly old gentleman to listen to him he could not deny that there was much weight in them if i withdraw myself altogether from my mother at this moment said charles i shall give her husband an excellent and very plausible excuse for persuading her to banish me from her house and her heart for ever whereas if i remain near her it can hardly i think be doubted that some reaction will take place in her feelings and that she will at last be induced to treat me as a son at any rate sir gilbert not even your generous kindness shall induce me to abandon this hope till i feel persuaded that it is a vain one in my opinion my duty and my interest equally dictate this line of conduct and if so you are the last man in the world to dissuade me from pursuing it whether there were too much of firm decision in mowbray's manner to leave any hope of overcoming it or that sir gilbert was really convinced by his arguments was difficult to decide but he yielded the point on condition that the two girls should be left at oakley at least for the present and be regulated as to their future conduct by the manner in which affairs went on at the park this being settled much to the satisfaction of all parties lady harrington made miss torrington describe the entree of this most undesired interloper a task which the fair rosalind performed with great spirit though she confessed that the impatient feeling to which she yielded in leaving the room was now a cause of regret as she had lost thereby some notable traits in the history of that eventful hour lady harrington was greatly delighted at the conduct of mrs williams and when charles left them to inform mrs cartwright that her daughter and her ward had accepted an invitation to remain at oakley for a few days she proposed that they should pay her a visit at the mowbray arms both to give her the satisfaction of knowing that her conduct was approved and likewise to give her the comfort of knowing that helen and miss torrington were for the present removed from such scenes as they had witnessed the night before it was about two o'clock in the afternoon when lady harrington's carriage drove across the common to the little public-house already described as the mowbray arms as they approached they perceived several persons who appeared to be occupied in very eager and deep discussion before the door what are they doing there asked lady harrington rosalind put forward her head to ascertain this but in an instant drew it back again exclaiming mr cartwright is there mr cartwright exclaimed helen turning very pale oh lady harrington do not let me see him lady harrington let down the glass behind the coachman and said aloud turn round instantly and drive home this order being immediately obeyed the party escaped the sight of the vicar but in gaining this advantage they lost that of beholding a scene which must have drawn forth a smile even from helen herself the party engaged in it were mrs freeman her daughter sally jem the horse-boy an elderly traveller called forth by the clamour from the warm comforts of mrs freeman's fireside and mr cartwright himself a short retrospect will be necessary to explain his business there as soon as the prayer of that morning had reached its final amen 
for as the subject matter of it consisted chiefly in vehement implorings of the divine favour on such of his new family and household as should show unto him the most perfect submission and obedience the amen to make assurance doubly sure was three several times repeated as soon however as it was finally pronounced the vicar his lady and the pale fanny sat down to breakfast it would be tedious to tell how many glances of furtive but deep-felt delight the newly made master of the house cast on each and every of the minute yet not unimportant differences between this breakfast-table and any others at which he had occupied a place of equal authority suffice it to say that there were many the meal indeed altogether lasted much longer than usual but as soon as it was ended and that mr cartwright had watched with feelings of great complacency the exit of its component parts by the hands of two footmen and a butler he told his wife that he should be obliged though most unwillingly to leave her for some hours as there were many things to which his personal attention was required will the rooms be ready to-day for jacob and henrietta my love they are quite ready now my dear mr cartwright when may we hope to see them to call and give them their orders about coming here is one part of the business that takes me from you my sweet clara there are some small bills in the village too with which your happy husband must not be done sweet love what ready money have you dearest in the house of money i have very little indeed said mrs cartwright unlocking her desk and drawing thence a purse with ten or twelve sovereigns in it i pay everything by draughts by far the best way my love but your draughts dear are no longer worth anything and i must therefore see corbold to give orders that everything is put right about that at the banker's and so forth and this must really be done without delay certainly it must said the lady shall i-i mean will you send one of the men to rexhill to bring him here mr cartwright laid his hand on the bell but ere he pulled it checked his hand and said no i must walk to the village and therefore i will call on him myself shall you prefer walking my dear mr cartwright why no i had forgot perhaps it would be as well to take the carriage oh certainly and you can bring henrietta back with you true dear she will certainly want the carriage i will go and send her and her bandboxes back in it and then perhaps drive myself back in the cab it is at the vicarage you know is it i did not remember that then how are they gone this morning those undutiful children i mean who have chosen to set off this morning without even leaving a message for us i imagined that charles had packed them both into the cab as he has often done his sisters do not waste a thought on them my beloved clara it is evident that they have neither of them ever felt the slightest affection for you and would it not be worse than folly for you beloved and adored as you are to let any thought of them come to blight our happiness after this and many more tender and affectionate passages had passed between them mr cartwright set off for the vicarage in his own coach as he told himself more than once as he drove along and having informed his son and daughter not greatly to the surprise of either that mowbray park was to be their future home he left them to prepare for their removal telling henrietta that he would send his carriage back from mr corbold's where it should set him down and that she might fill it if she chose with her own luggage as he should drive jacob home in his cab at mr corbold's the conversation was rather religious and moreover extremely satisfactory to both parties one or two of his most prayerful parishioners among the tradespeople were next called upon and permitted to offer their congratulations and thanksgivings and then told to send their bills to the park after this the reverend bridegroom walked down the village street to the common returning the humble bowings and curtsyings that crossed his path with a benignant sweetness of countenance that spoke much of the placid contentment that dwelt within it was not however solely to enjoy this pleasant interchange of heavenly-minded civility that he directed his steps along this well-frequented path 
though that was something but for the purpose also of transacting a little business with freeman the prosperous landlord of the mowbray arms this good man and his family it may be observed had been great favourites with the family of mr wallace the late vicar but stood not so high by many degrees in the estimation of the present they were honest industrious regular church-going people who had never during the twenty years they had kept the village in been accused or even suspected of having neglected a sabbath or of having ever permitted any indecorum either on that or any other day to be practised under their roof but they had steadily refused to attend mr cartwright's tuesday evening's expounding and his thursday evening's lecture the good woman who was no bad scholar alleging as the reason for this that they knew of no such religious service being enjoined by the church of which they were members and that not considering themselves in any way called upon to amend the ordinances of the religion in which they were born and bred they thought it more according to their condition to remain at home and endeavour to do their duty in that state of life to which it had pleased god to call them this explanation having been very clearly and distinctly given to the vicar in the presence of several witnesses before whom he had intended to make a rather marked display of pastoral piety and eloquence though uttered with a very becoming modesty and respect had produced an impression against the painstaking dorothy and all her household never to be forgotten or forgiven mr cartwright had even taken the trouble of waiting upon the magistrates of the neighbourhood requesting them to refuse to continue freeman's license assuring them that he was a man whose character was likely to produce a very demoralising influence on his parish but as these gentlemen had happened to know the good man for many years they begged to consider of it and the vicar of rexhill was thus left to discover other ways and means by which to dislodge his obnoxious parishioner a very favourable occasion for this now seemed to offer itself and he accordingly proceeded with an elastic step and dignified gait towards the mowbray arms at the moment he appeared in sight the ex-housekeeper of the park was describing to mrs freeman and her daughter sally the return of its mistress and most unwelcome master on the preceding evening why here he comes as sure as i live exclaimed dorothy what in the wide world can bring him here it must be to preachify you mrs williams and that's what he shall never do again so step out and speak to him outside there's a dear good woman and if i see you can't get rid of him i'll make my way out of the back door and so go round and slip in again and up to my own room before he can catch me to facilitate this escape mrs freeman walked forth and met the reverend bridegroom just as he had reached the foot of the post from whence depended the mowbray arms good morning mrs freeman he said in the peculiar accent in which he always addressed those who were not to use his own phrase of his father's house a tone in which cold outward civility was struggling with hot internal hatred good morning mrs freeman good morning sir responded mrs freeman with a very proper and ceremonious curtsey i have called to mention to you a necessary alteration that must immediately take place on your premises you must forthwith take down the mowbray arms which have no longer any connection with the neighbourhood and it may be if you conduct yourselves properly i may permit you to substitute the cartwright arms i believe sir said mrs freeman in a tone rather too much approaching to indifference that a publican may exhibit what sign he likes provided it be not offensive to common decency and i think there may be a many she added turning away to re-enter the house who might object to see the sign you propose as not coming within that line she had made a step or two towards the door when she turned again upon hearing the voice of the vicar raised to a very unusual pitch he was not addressing her however but the boy jem who chanced at that moment to be entering the little rickyard with a ladder upon his shoulder bring that ladder here boy vociferated the imperious great man the boy obeyed saying as he drew near what's your pleasure sir 
fix your ladder against this post d'ye hear and mount steady mind and take the sign off the hooks when you have got it loose you may let it drop if it breaks it's no matter it is of no farther value take down master's sign your honour said jem opening his mouth and eyes to their greatest dimensions but not approaching an inch nearer to the signpost do you dispute my orders you little ruffian cried the holy vicar his eyes flashing and his cane raised in a very threatening attitude you be the parson of the parish i know said the boy looking steadily in his face and they do say you be something else besides now but i don't see that's a reason for my lugging master's sign down at this moment the feelings of the man overcame those of the saint and mr cartwright seizing upon the ladder succeeded in disengaging it from the boy's hands and himself placing it against the post and had already got one foot upon it when mrs freeman stepped back and taking a quiet but firm hold of his arm said it is a trespass and a damage you are committing sir and i warn you to desist and i wish with all my heart that there was no worse a trespass and damage upon your conscience or at least that there was still as good time to stop it but married or not to the lady we won't have nothing to do with your arms mr cartwright nor your legs neither if you please sir so don't be after climbing that fashion to disturb our property for it don't look clerical no how mr cartwright raised his voice much beyond its usual pitch to answer and at this moment sally and the traveller moved by a very natural feeling of curiosity joined the group why what's the gentleman after said the wayfaring man deliberately taking out a pair of huge near-sighted spectacles to examine into the mystery i should take him to be a parson by his cloth only i never did hear of a reverend climbing a ladder save and except the famous dr dodd as i've read of in the newgate calendar this harangue short as it was saved the mowbray arms from farther molestation for the present for the vicar withdrew his foot but the glance with which he greeted the speaker was very nearly awful dorothy freeman however turned on her heel nothing heeding it her guest and daughter followed her into the house jem quietly took up his ladder and proceeded on his business and the vicar of rexhill with feelings which the hope of future vengeance alone enabled him to endure with decent philosophy was fain to turn on his heel also and walk off end of chapter fifteen end of the second volume